Welcome to another episode of Campus Life, the college half of our flagship pod here at Campus DeCanson, continuing on our summer conference preview series. We've got the Mountain West Conference here today. As always, I'm Austin. And this is Colin. Um, we we uh, These episodes, if you're a regular listener to us, or if this is your first time, welcome. Thanks for, for joining us here. These preview episodes always start out with an interview with uh, a content creator and then we preview the conference we've been skipping the news and that's because we do have the c2a-days which is a uh, show that we're running during this time of the year over on our youtube page matt bruning nikki and alan aka cfd winning edge as you may know him uh are doing in the morning and then at night um uh, two shows just kind of wrapping up all of the news uh from camps across the country uh very very uh, just detailed and and uh, a ton of information there we don't feel the need to repeat that information on this show so if you're looking for news go ahead hop over into our youtube page check out the c2 a days there's a, a a feed on there that you can go ahead uh, and check those out but we do have just a little bit of news that we thought we had to discuss today everybody's talking about it but it everybody would just, it, it would everybody. feel weird yeah my gam gam emailed me last night about it um <laughs> She hasn't even had a computer. I don't. I don't know how she emailed me, um, but she, she's talking about it. Gam Gam's Mount, a big, uh, big college football fan, though. She was on Bijan first. She, she loves Bijan, so yeah, mm. she's she's already looking for the next uh, the next big running back. I, I don't know if she has a favorite yet. She'll find a new one. Well, let um, me know. I will. I will. She's she got a she got an eye for talent. Um, yeah, I mean, she, she did. She did tell me I was the best when I was little, and she. You know, she yeah, wasn't but far that's... off there. That's just like a grandmother's love. She has to say that about you. When she says it about somebody else, she means it. You think? I, you I think tell so, me that yeah. she was obligated to say that about me. No, of course not. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to shatter your worldview or or your relationship with your gam gam. That far be it from me to step into family matters. Forget I said anything. Let's move into the news. Gam gam, um, who I actually call Nana, um, but gam gam is <laughs> way funnier. Um, her favorite story to tell about me is actually when I was little. Uh, my grandpa's like six three. You've met my grandparents before, mm -hmm. and um, I would go around telling people when I was like three years old that I was going to be taller than than my grandpa. Um, and I am for anybody that listens and had a picture, some sort of picture of me in their head. I am about you're six close. Three, so yeah, yeah, you're close. Are yeah. you taller than him? Uh, I am. Yeah, I think even like, well, he probably was already hitting like that shrinking, like, yeah, portion of his life before, you know, I really started getting taller. But yeah, I, I am taller than my grandpa and have been for I don't know, probably since I was, I don't know, 15, maybe I got I, oh, I, I really, okay. really, you know, the, the seventh, eighth, ninth grade years were were interesting. So um, conference realignment. <laughs> that was a natural segue. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, we did feel like we had to talk a little bit about conference realignment um, and really more like, you know, you, I think everybody kind of knows at this point what's going on. The Pac-12 is now the Pac-4. Be interesting to see what happens there. And we probably will touch on that a little more when we do our Pac-12 preview. Um, but we've got just a ton of movement, you know, all, the, all these schools going to the Big Ten and the Big 12. And so we wanted to look at it just from a little bit of a fantasy perspective here, what we think um c2c players and if anyone you know cff or uh, devi otherwise listen to the show and, and you're maybe wondering how does this impact rosters and and things going forward at first off i don't think it really affects the formats at least not in the no. near future at all uh, i do think that it is conceivable uh, as we talked about on the fsga draft show 
uh, this past week with uh, Joe DeSalva from the CFF site. There could be a time where we have 75 teams in the Power Five, and then that just becomes like basically FBS fantasy football, which I actually think would be intriguing from a um, like it, it would potentially feel more approachable to people, even though you can just go on fan tracks and change to power five now. And, you know, you, you can do that, but I think that sounds more approachable to people. So I do think that'll be an interesting dynamic over the next few years, depending on what happens with uh, the ACC specifically. It sounds like there's some rumblings there. Um, but uh, Colin, do you have, we had USC and USC and UCLA already heading to the big 10. Mm-hmm. So we knew there were going to be some changes, some uh, different ways of playing heading up into that conference. But now you've got uh, Oregon and Washington heading that way, too. Uh, Both, at least for the time being, are kind of spread, pass-happy, up-tempo type offenses, which, again, not super common in the Big Ten. So uh, my... I want to hear what your thoughts first. I have a theory on what actually happens here, but I want to okay. hear your thoughts first because I actually don't know what you think about this. I think this is really interesting, and I actually think it makes the Big Ten, um, and this is going to be probably like a, a controversial take, I think it makes it just as good as the SEC. Wow, okay. That, that, um, is, that is bold. Yeah, I think that Oregon we know what their NIL situation is. So I don't think Oregon's going to have any trouble competing there every single year. Um, and I think Washington with Kalen DeBoer is going to be a really fun offense for as long as he is there, which I think is going to be for, for a while. Like I, I don't know how many more rungs up the ladder Kalen DeBoer can get. So I think they're going to have a really fun offense and, you know, Washington, Northern California area. Like I think, I think they can recruit that area fairly well. So I think they're going to be able to stay pretty relevant there. Um, And then you already have Ohio state and Michigan. I'm biased. I put Penn state up there as well. I don't think you're going to be able to keep Michigan state down for forever. Like they're going to bounce back into some semblance of a decent team. Um, I like this. There's an argument to be made there either way, I would think. Um, and then I think um, Wisconsin is, is another team that's kind of on the come up as well. Get Now that they're moving into the 21st century, uh, I think they could be interesting. So I, re- I like a lot of the teams that are there. Um, I think, I, like I said, I, I put it on par with the SEC. Um, so I really like this overall for the Big Ten. Um, in terms, in terms of, you know, what this means for like Oregon and Washington, like I said, I think they can both compete in the big 10. I think it's going to be very competitive, um, year in and year out. And I, I go back and forth with whether I like this for college football as a whole or not. I mean, it's, it doesn't really matter what I think as far as whether I like it or not, because it's happening anyway. Um, I hate to see the PAC 12 kind of disintegrate because, you know, I, I think that the the PAC 12 and when the PAC 12 is good, you know, it makes college football even better. Uh, and it's just, that's not obviously going to be the case anymore because it's dissolving. So I, I go back and forth with whether I like this move or not. I think I'll come around I don't like change in general. So I think I'll eventually come around and say that I like this overall. 
Yeah, I'm pretty big anti-change in real life as well. You can uh, ask my wife if you ever have the chance uh, to meet her. Uh, Collins matter, but I mean, yes, the, the public at large out there listening. Um, so I pretty heavily disagree with you. I still think the SEC, at least at the top, is going to be significantly better. I think if the if Washington and Oregon specifically were more fertile recruiting grounds, I could maybe see that being a difference maker for the Big Ten, but they really aren't outside a handful of guys every single year. Um, and the Big Ten and SECs really have already kind of hit California, so I, I don't find that to be a particularly meaningful addition to the conference either way. So I, I don't know that it this surpasses the SEC because it's not there now. And it might be a little deeper, but uh, in terms of really competing year in, year out for a, a championship, I'm not sure that's going to be there. What I do think is actually going to happen here, because I've heard a lot of people say that the USA, when USC and UCLA were headed over, that they were going to be in for a rude awakening uh, stylistically football wise a lot of the the traditional ground and pound play defense you know big beefy offensive linemen these corn-fed boys from the midwest <laughs> coming up against these high-flying teams they can't block anybody and aren't very physical and they'd rather win 45 40 i actually think that the west coast style is going to have more of an influence on the big 10 than vice versa i think we're going to see a lot more teams start to open it up i think college football has kind of been heading that way anyway and the big 10 has really been the last uh, you know, bastion of old school football on a consistent basis. But I do think now like Ohio state really for a couple of years was the only team trying to do that in the conference. And we have seen some teams start to adjust a little bit. And Kalen DeBoer was there for a year or two with Indiana and had some success. Um, but now with Oregon, Washington, USC and UCLA all coming in who play that style, Wisconsin now has Phil Longo there. So I think that's a natural transition that they're attempting to make. Anyway, I think you're going to see a lot more of these teams, uh, make that change. So I am the school that I'm actually most interested in seeing how they, they handle it is Michigan. I agree because Michigan right now, as we've talked about on this show, we talk a lot more about it on like kind of our more talk show ish shows like Debbie debate, better sports where there's a fantasy gambling, you mm -hmm. know, whatever tilt, but it's not like the, the main purpose of the show Michigan really is built to beat Ohio state right now. Like that's like, that's been their goal for the past couple of years. And I get why, you know, if you're winning the conference, you're making the playoff, but it's left them kind of woefully unprepared to take on kind of the other upper echelon of college football. So I am interested to see now that it's not just Ohio state that's stylistically like that. It's now Oregon. It's now USC um, who's Washington. at this point a very soft team. So, you know, whatever, but you know, all the, all these different teams, I'm interested to see, if they can remain kind of that last ground and pound win with defense, um, they were a little more of an open offense last year. I, I get that, but um, I am interested to see what happens with them. But I do think this turns the Big Ten into more of an offensive conference than it has traditionally been considered. So I think that portion of it actually makes this really, really uh, interesting overall. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I really I like the call out on Michigan there being the one who is going to be going to have to be, make a decision as to whether to stay stylistically more conservative or try and open it up. But I I'm really interested to see how this conference shakes out in 2024, because 2024 
presumably Michigan loses McCarthy, Quorum, mm-hmm. and Edwards, which are like the stalwarts of their offense. We have no idea who their quarterback's going to be. I don't really love the rest of that running back, although that could be a, a, a system thing. I, yeah, they, I think that system's so good that it probably doesn't, yeah. you know, it can be elevated by the talent, but I, I don't know that it really matters. I think whether it's you know, Benjamin Hall, CJ Stokes, Cole Cabana, uh, what is Peoples, the kid they have coming in next year? I forget, um, but they, they've got another kid coming in. I mean, I, I think that train continues on yeah. as long as they have but linemen. They don't have any, any real skill position players that we feel great about, like the wide receivers. If Colson Loveland, uh, we'll see what he ends up being. I think we are fairly hopeful for him. But like this team, just once 2024 hits, this team offensively just is not set up to compete with all of these other offenses. So I think that's going to be a huge pivot point for them. So I like that call out there. Yeah, very, very interested to see what they do. We're talking about the big 12 now. I am also, I'm interested to see what they rebrand as because you cannot stay the Big 10 and Big 12, right? When you have, like 16 and 18 teams. I, no. I don't know that that functionally uh, really works. Like I, I know there's years of branding there that you don't want to get rid of, but uh, uh, shit, as we've seen with X recently, who cares? Um, big 10 is just going to be big. The big conference. The big conference. That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> big 12, you can get out of here. So um, yeah, you've kind of got these... I don't, know, I don't want to really call them like second second tier schools, but you know, Arizona, Arizona State. Um, uh, who are the other ones headed over there? Utah, yeah, thank Colorado. You. Yeah, Utah, Colorado. So that'll be I, – I think that's interesting. I don't know that there's – there's no powerhouse team there. No. And I actually Utah-ish. think – I actually think – it's going to be super difficult for a team to make it out of that conference and to a play. Well, the playoffs going to expand. That's that's the other problem. Yeah, uh, or the other. It's not a really. I think it's a problem. I think it's stupid, but um, because I, I think it would be really hard unless the schedule sets up in a perfect way, uh, and you just get one of those years where a team kind of builds up to it and has like a bunch of fourth and fifth year guys for a team to make it out of that conference and be competitive on a national scale. Um, just because there's not. There is no team there that I think has that kind of upside. There, there, no. no program there. Uh, and I don't know with these other conferences getting bigger that that's going to change really anytime soon. Like, what? Are, what is the draw in that conference? I, I, I don't know. Um, for a football perspective, I think basketball is going to be a hell of a conference. I'm yeah, really, really excited for that. Uh, for the little bit of college uh, fantasy basketball that I play. Um, but, um, it's, I don't, I don't really have strong feelings on the conference. I think it'll be fun to watch, but it's, it's not one that I'm like, I, it's basically just an, it's an SEC big 10, whatever showdown for the near future. And then obviously, you know, maybe a a Clemson or a Florida state, but we don't know how long those teams are going to be in the ACC. Yeah. I think it's really interesting if like with the auto bids that they were planning on having, and the Pac-12's dissolution, basically dissolution. I mean, I'm assuming that this is gonna that they're gonna be no more. They have four teams left. Like they can't. I don't know how that's gonna work out. We we don't really know at this point. But basically, their Pac-12 dissolution. They were gonna have like a guaranteed spot. The same thing with like the Big 12. Like you said, that there's not really like a standout team in that conference. Like there's a lot of like really solid teams in that conference. Um, 
like Oklahoma State just perennially is is pretty is a pretty good team. You know, and and you have Utah coming in. It's going to be the same deal perennially. They're a good team. Um, Kansas State has been good recently. Baylor's had some runs. You get the other teams that have runs here and there and stuff. So, like, it's a pretty decent conference where I think they're going to kind of cannibalize themselves. And you're going to get people complaining that a two or three loss Big 12 champion is ranked higher than Ohio State who has one loss or, uh, you know, a two loss Michigan or something along those lines. So the auto bids are going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Cause I think people are going to get upset about that with the way that things have now shaken out. Oh, you know, it. you know, people are going to be very, very upset about that. Um, yeah. Like I said, we are going to talk more about the PAC 12 and what we think they can do when we get to the PAC 12 episode, but that does you're keeping score at home, leave behind Cal Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. And I do feel um, – so I, I, I'm i not anti-consolidation of, uh, of conferences and conference realignment. Like I – You're not an elitist. You're probably in favor. I'm, I'm not necessarily for it either. I do have some sympathy for schools that are kind of these mid-tiers that are losing um, uh, rivalries and kind of identities with some of this realignment. Partially because I am a fan of a team that realistically could be in a very similar position in the next 10 years. I'm, I'm yeah. a Pitt Panther fan. We've already lost our two big rivals. We don't play Penn State anymore. We don't really play West Virginia anymore. We just had a, a home and home with them. But uh, I don't think that's going to continue. It's not going to be a consistent thing moving forward. Uh, we don't really have another rival beyond those teams. So um, if the ACC split or it splits what happens there i don't really know um so i am sensitive to it um but at the same time i mean oregon state and washington state really specifically like sell 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 them to me what can you sell me on on either of those schools i there's yeah. nothing really there the, the the money sports they're not good at they're not in advantageous locations in the country. Their biggest rivals have already left, so you can't even hitch a ride with those guys. I don't, again, I don't always know the answer to this, but I'm, like they're not like elite academic schools, which is why I'm not including them in with Cal and Stanford. Yeah. And Stanford's got like basically the best athletic department in the country. So they're like just kind of an anomaly uh, in this discussion. But I just, I don't know that you could sell those schools to me in any sort of meaningful way up there in the very corner of the country. I think you have to, there's some sort of Mountain West, Pac-12, whatever alignment that's going to need to happen here. Agreed. Yeah, and the Mountain West already knows that they kind of came for the Pac-12's throat, like right after the news dropped. They said they would be open to collaboration, I think is how they phrased it, something along those lines. But basically like, hey, Pac-12, you have four teams left. You're kind of done. Let's join forces. Um I do feel really bad for Oregon state because their football team was kind of was getting to a place where like, I think they were going to be pretty decent um, this year, probably the year after that with Aiden Childs, they have like a solid quarterback there. Damian Martinez is a good running back. Their offensive line was good. Their defense is, is fairly solid. Like I like what Jonathan Smith is doing there. And I think this just kind of completely derails that like they'd have, virtually no shot at getting to 
where they could have been, which was, you know, not competing for the Pac-12 title, but like a nine and a perennial like nine and three, eight and 14, like every year. And if they move into the Mountain West, maybe they can do that, but nobody cares. So I, I feel bad for for Oregon State. I do think there are some interesting teams in the Mountain West, and we're going to talk about the Mountain West tonight. Um, so I guess this is as good of a segue as any. We are going to hop over to our interview here for first, though. Before we do that, uh, we are joined by Volume Pigs, actually, somebody who we have the pleasure of working with yeah. on a daily basis over at Camp Canton. Uh, obviously we talk about it here in the interview, but he also has his sub stack, which is, uh, awesome. I'm subscribed over there. Uh, he writes like, I, I don't think this is a, an exaggeration. I feel pretty confident saying this, that he is the most prolific writer in all of the college fantasy Debbie C2C space. And it's probably not really particularly close. He writes multiple articles a week. Um, they're fun reads. Um, they are thought provoking, um, a lot of kind of player spotlight pieces uh, specifically on any, you know, players that are getting attention and, and plenty that are not too. Um, so I think he's for somebody who started in the space. So recently um, been somebody who has really obviously caught our eye, but I think caught everybody's eye. So uh, yeah, I sat down with, with him here this past week. So here's my interview uh, with Justin Leo, AKA volume pigs. All right, our special guest for this week, Batman has Bruce Wayne, and Volume Pigs has Justin, the alter ego in real life out there walking around. You might know uh, Justin at Volume Pigs on Twitter. You know his Substack, uh, VolumePigs.com. Uh, there, you can find a link to that uh, in the show notes here or on uh, his Twitter page. And he also is a contributor here with us at Campus DeCanton, covering all things really college football, but, but specifically CFF, Justin, thank you for hopping on here to tell us a little bit about you and what you've been working on lately. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always fun to hop on and uh, chat with you guys. And uh, yeah, I'm no, looking forward to this. All right. Well, let's, um, uh, before we, we get too much into what you do, some predictions for the 2023 season, I want, we wanted to get to know a little bit about you, what you've been working on lately. Um, it seems like you put out a new article every day somewhere whether it's Substack, whether just it's about us yeah. it, it's you're just you're the most prolific writer in the space I, I i think i feel comfortable saying that um how did you get started doing all of this and and what really drove you to put pen to paper and and get your thoughts out there sure sure well like i imagine most cff content creators i was a cff player first and really started playing cff you know sort of a handful of years ago when it started blowing up uh kind of had the idea to make content myself i felt like i was pretty good at cff and won a lot of my leagues uh so i kind of had the idea late 2021 early 2022 uh, but just never really took the time to i don't know take that first kind of step uh and then a friend of mine who kind of he started his own business he's kind of entrepreneurial i kind of chatted to him about it and sort of used used him as like a soundboard bounce ideas off of uh, and he really sort of pushed me to, you know, take that step forward kind of when I did earlier this year. Uh, and then, yeah, basically made that first article around late January, early February. Uh, you know, I, I tagged a bunch of you guys on Twitter trying to, you know, I don't know, raise awareness, just take that. For, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just like, I, I got to get the reach out there and see, see how it goes, see what the reaction is. And basically, 
yeah, kind of had, you know, a plan or an idea of what I could do with this content. Wasn't expecting it to kind of blow up as quickly as it has, um, but that's been great, of course. And so, yeah, yeah, no, I've just been currently, I'm writing articles, as you said, basically every, every day or every other day. Uh, but in the future, I hope to do sort of more content like this, video content, audio content. Still not entirely sure what I'll do with the VP platform. Maybe I'll start a YouTube channel or have a podcast uh, myself, uh, but certainly uh, you should expect to see me on videos on C2C more in the future, I think, going forward as well. Heck yeah, that's what, that's what we like to hear, and I know the people are going to be happy to hear that here too. You are not American. You're Canadian. No. How yep. did you find college football? I mean, not that you know it's halfway across the world or anything, but it's not the biggest thing uh, up north of the border so how no. did kind of you grow to find college football uh, originally and, and really you know college fantasy up there when that's it's really not, <laughs> not popular at all uh, up where you are yeah no it's a good question uh, again i think probably like most i started off as an nfl fan exclusively uh, i mean nfl is pretty big up here as well uh, and so i was an nfl fan for basically like 10 years and i was kind of aware of college football you know around april uh, like most casual NFL fans, I would chime in with the draft discussions and act like, you know, I was familiar with these players after I watched a two or three minute highlight video, all of a sudden I'm an expert, right, on these college guys. Uh, so yeah, I was an NFL fan for the most part. And then I guess around sort of the mid 2010s, I started, for whatever reason, uh, I just kind of got bored with the NFL and started migrating over more to the college side. It was just, it was, it was big, it was kind of mysterious. There was all these different leagues, different teams. It was just something new to chew on. Uh, and I just, I love sort of new information and, and sort of looking at new things. Uh, and so that kind of held my interest and I kind of got into college football. And then basically how I got into college football fantasy, uh, again, like probably most people, I was not aware that this even existed. I didn't even really play NFL fantasy. I was when I was an NFL fan, I just consumed content, just watched football. Uh, but somebody I worked with, it was like a government job, summer student job while I was in university. Uh, he basically he invited me because he knew I was a college football fan. He invited me to his college football fantasy league. Uh, his name is Jake. Shout out, uh, shout out, Jake. Uh, and my draft was terrible. You know, like most first uh, first timers, you know, I, I drafted Justin Fields in the first round, which was good, and then DeAndre Swift in like the second round. This was like in 2019, uh, and so my draft overall was, was quite poor, and I, I started the league off really on a bad foot. But uh, through some waiver wire, some savvy waiver wire moves, ended up with a team with like Jamar Chase. I drafted Justin Jefferson by by luck, sheer luck, in like the eighth round. And somehow finished like third in the league, like just coming up short, right after a, a horrendous start. And basically after that, I was just like, I really like this. This is really cool. Uh, that league was P5 only, but I was aware that there was also like leagues that did all G5 and P5. So I was like, this is fantastic. This is like 130 teams, so many players. You can really get into the weeds of it and really find hidden gems, like like legitimate hidden gems. Not, you know, on the NFL side when they say, oh, hidden gem. A guy's been a star in college for four years. You know, everybody already knows him, right? Uh, so this, I just found it was so much more interesting, so much more uh, in-depth than sort of the NFL fantasy side. Uh, and, and I just, yeah, fell in love with it, that first league. And, and that's, kind of, that's kind of how it unfolded. Love it. Love it. So how would you describe, you know, you, you, you write a ton and I love, I always love seeing like the, uh, the pop culture, you know, movie TV references and <laughs> all of your articles. Um, 
how, what, how would you describe kind of your style? Are you looking more at numbers? Are you looking more at, um, you know, gut stuff? Like, how, how do you usually approach writing an article? And what would you kind of say stylistically uh, you do uh, as a writer? Yeah, well, it, it's funny, you know, as mentioned to you pre-show that my background educationally is kind of in math and stats, and I work as an economist. Uh, but my sort of approach to these articles, it's, uh, you know, I use stats, but like I'm just pulling basic stats from like ESPN. I'm not doing, I don't have a model or any, any kind of projections. Uh, so my approach right now is, is pretty qualitative, I would say. It's mostly just I'm trying to write something that is, one, informative, but two, hopefully also sort of engaging and entertaining. Uh, you know, I mean, I could write articles sort of bare bone just with informational value, and obviously that serves a purpose, but I, I think sort of a good article should be both sort of informative and kind of, you know, engaging, entertaining. Uh, so I'd really describe what I do at VP and even with the, the one once a week articles I do with you guys is sort of like a window into my world with the pop culture references and music lyrics. I mean, a lot of times I'll reference something. I might've seen that movie 10 years ago, five years ago, but I just happened to watch it randomly. It was on TV or something a week ago. And I'm just like, oh, that's a cool line. Uh, it'd be, it, it doesn't really relate to college football easily. Let me try to put it into an article kind of thing, right? And it's, it's almost a challenge. Like sometimes I'll have an article written uh, or the bare bones of it. And I'll kind of just have a set of quotes that I like and I'm, I'll just pair them up randomly and say, creative challenge, make it work. And that's kind of how a lot of the times, like if there's a themed article or, you know, some of these more eccentric style articles that are based around pop culture, pop cultural references, that's kind of how it starts. It's just kind of through a creative challenge to myself. Take this quote from The Prestige, this player from Tulsa, let's make it work kind of thing. Uh, that's how it goes. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, let's let's get into the, the three big questions here for anybody who needs a refresher. Uh, we're going to ask Justin here. Uh, a player that he thinks is going to help their stock the most this year, a player that he thinks is going to hurt their stock the most this year, and then uh, Justin's hottest take for the 2023 season. And you don't strike me as a hot takes guy, so we're really going. I think we're really going to have to pull that one out of you, Justin. But we'll talk about that well, here in a second when we get there. Yeah, I hope, I hope I don't disappoint you on that one. I mean, yeah, you might have to pull it out of me. I think I got a good one, but we'll see. Okay, awesome, awesome. Okay, well, yeah, let's start off. Player that's going to uh, help their stock the most this year. Who you got? Sure. So, I mean, there's. Yeah, there's so many, and I've, <laughs> I've written about quite a few. Uh, so there's a lot of ways I could have taken this. Uh, one name that comes to mind that I wrote about him a couple of weeks ago is uh, Braylon Braxton, quarterback at Tulsa. Uh, there's a lot to like with, with Braxton. Uh, you know, he's a big kid, 6'3", 220. He had a really strong finish to the year last year and, and sort of the limited action that he got when Davis Brin was down with an injury. He actually finished the season with back-to-back 30 point plus performances. One was like 33, the other was 38 uh, in standard scoring, that is. Uh, so he's, he's a big kid. He's kind of a dual threat. I believe he finished with like three rushing touchdowns in the last two games. Uh, but maybe most notably is his new coach, uh, Kevin Wilson, is formerly the OC at Ohio State. He was there from 2017, 2022. And so when you're talking about like track records or patterns, I don't know that it gets much better than his. If you look at sort of the quarterbacks he coached in succession there. So he had like CJ Stroud. Uh, before that, it was Justin Fields. Before that, it was Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace. And before that, it was, I believe, JT Barrett. Uh, and so if you go back and you look at like the production profile of each of those players, it's pretty good. It's pretty elite. 
Uh, and Braxton kind of fits the mold. Like he's this big kid, 6'3", 220. He's kind of the same uh, profile. He's got a good arm. He's pretty good rushing as well. Uh, so I think there's a lot to like with his profile. Uh, I don't believe they've officially named him the starter yet, but I, from reading the tea leaves, it seems all but in name so far. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't have off the top of my head like what his exact ADP is, but my inclination and my recollect from when I wrote that article a few weeks ago is he's not getting drafted in like the top six, eight, nine rounds. But I think this is a guy who, if he were to return to CFF for like 2024, could easily be a guy who's considered a first round value quarterback in that season uh, if he's not leaving for the NFL after this season. Realistically, if he starts every game this year, we're talking top 24 finish, top 12 finish, less than that. I mean, what, what are you thinking? Uh, kind of a realistic range of outcomes for him? Yeah, if, he's, if he were to start every game, I don't see any reason why he couldn't finish top 10 or top 12 within QBs. Again, I, I like his profile quite a bit. And looking at sort of what Wilson has done with previous quarterbacks in the similar vein. Uh, and of course, with Tulsa, you're not going to have to worry about this kid being taken out of the game at in the third quarter or, you know, playing only three quarters. Uh, unlike at Ohio State, I think Braxton's going to be playing pretty much the entire games. And they might be in shootouts as well. So I have no problem saying, you know, the top 10 is well within the range of outcomes for uh, Braxton. Well, now I'm a little nervous because I don't think I have any Braylon Braxton. Um, <laughs> I'm running out of time. So before, before this episode airs, I'm going to go. Uh, see if well, I, I was going to say, we have like a buffer of like a few weeks here or something like that. We right? do. Or, yeah. <laughs> not just, shh, no, this is the yeah, no, no, I realized that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're mostly in C2C leagues, right? Like, so I, it's, yeah. 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 Although, yeah, I, I would still say he's probably a valuable commodity, but uh, I was speaking mostly from a CFF angle. I think this sure. season is probably uh, a good buy low, high, high upside kind of if we're talking about value uh, for you know people that maybe don't play CFF Dynasty that or, or redraft that listen to the show, they're playing a little more C2C. How far off of like a, a tail and green comparison are we talking about? He's a guy we've, we've talked about a little bit on the show before, you know, Boise State QB, dual threat, you know, similar to that, higher upside than that. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think Braxton's a much better passer than tail and okay. green. Like, I, I wouldn't characterize him. Like I said, he is a dual threat in the sense that like he scores rushing touchdowns and he can do damage on the ground. That's not like the main selling point. Like I, I would compare him more to a guy like Justin Fields. Not he's not at that level, but like in terms of relatively speaking, at the G five level, I think he could be that type of entity for Tulsa. If that makes sense. All right, G five Justin Fields. You heard it here first, folks. Um, <laughs> all right, so Braylon Braxton's going to help his self his stock this year. Uh, inversely, who's hurting their stock this year? Yeah, this one, you know, it's harder to answer. I, I, I hate to, uh, yeah, I hate, I hate to answer these types of questions. You know, I think I'm naturally optimistic by nature. But uh, I think an easy name uh, to go with would be Ecal running back Jaden Ott. Uh, this is not necessarily a hot take. I think some, some others in this space might have been saying the same things as well. Uh, but with Ott specifically, you know, I'm not wild about the new OC there. His EOC's track record really, it's pretty clear. He likes to distribute the carries, especially in the backfield. Uh, and then you look at sort of Ott's profile as an individual. You know, he had a lot of production in a small amount of games from a year ago. Uh, he's fantastic as a receiver, at least the receiving usage was great last year. 
and uh, you know remains to be seen if they'll continue that type of usage with him. But I think in terms of his carry volume, you look at the transfers, the amount of transfers they brought in in the backfield this offseason. You know, I just think his carry volume is going to be decimated uh, to a, to a pretty large extent within the season. And so I doubt that he's really going to match his production profile from a year ago or exceed it. I'm happy to be wrong. Feel free to tweet me if you, you disagree. Uh, but that's kind of that, – that's one name I would throw out there. And, uh, I mean, I, I can throw another name out as a bonus if you want. Uh, it's oh, a little more yeah. of a hot take. Do you want more names? Give them to <laughs> us. Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, well, this one's a little bit more inflammatory, probably. Uh, but the Wisconsin running back, Braylon Allen, who I'm sure everybody knows, uh, I, I kind of toil back and forth between like how my assessment is of this. Uh, again, sort of a similar situation. So it's a new new OC, uh, and this OC, Phil Longo, he comes from North Carolina. If you look at his sort of background, it seems pretty clear Wisconsin this year that they're not going to be running the ball as much as they did in previous seasons. They might still lean more run heavy. I'm not sure, but I think pretty definitively they're not going to be like the Wisconsin teams of old. Uh, so overall, you're looking at a smaller pie, so to speak, uh, from a rushing standpoint. But also, maybe more importantly, is his teammate, Chesma Lucy, who you know, nobody really wants to acknowledge or talk about um, but he's he's a decent player, and he actually was the RB1 in 2021, which was Braylon Allen's freshman season. Of course, he got injured, and then Allen sort of took the torch and ran a bit. Uh, but if you look at sort of Longo's background, I think you're looking at a situation where best-case scenario could be like a Michael Carter and Javante Williams situation for like 2020. Uh, and then the question kind of might be, you know, who is who? I would wager a guess that sort of Braylon Allen would be more of a touchdown guy in the 20s, and then, you know, Chesma Lucy kind of used between between the 20s. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think those two are probably going to eat into each other's volume uh, out of a pie that has already sort of shrunk from a year ago in terms of rushing usage, rushing volume. Uh, so I'm not as high on Braylon Allen as probably many some others are. Uh, but again, you know, there's there's a few ways you could look at it because overall the offense probably will be more efficient, maybe more explosive, which means maybe more scoring opportunities. Uh, so it could work out, right? Like Javante Williams under Phil Longo, he was actually really potent as a CFF player, but his volume wasn't that consistent. It's just that he was scoring an absurd amount of touchdowns. And so he ended up averaging around like 20 fantasy points that entire season. That's not really something I would want to bank on especially not with the range that Brian Allen is being taken. Uh, but, you know, there is a path there to where you could argue, okay, maybe he fills that role and he fulfills sort of the expectation that the second or third round value that you're drafting him at. I, I really like that, that line of thinking, that process, you know, is it possible? Yes. And obviously if it happens, you know, then, then it happens, but you know, yeah. do you want to bet on that? You know, and then the answer sounds like is no. So, um, yeah, I, I like that that a lot. Um, well, let's let's do our final question here because that the Braylon Allen name surprised me a little bit, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you promised a hotter take than that, which we're all excited for. So, what's your your hottest, spiciest take for the twenty twenty three college football season? Yeah, well, maybe I should have downplayed it. I don't want to disappoint here, but uh, yeah, again, there's a few ways to have taken this. 
but I ultimately decided on this one because I know it will annoy Nate Marquis that I'm bringing awareness to this player. Wonderful. Uh, and I figured that was probably something I wanted to aim to do in terms of goals for this 20-minute segment. Uh, so uh, Old Dominion's wide receiver, Javon Harvey, uh, I'm very high on him, and I think he'll finish as a top 10 CFF wide receiver this season. Uh, I could go top five, but I don't actually believe that. Uh, but in terms of for a hot take, I'll say top 10. Uh, and then I guess the reasoning for why that is, uh, there's a few few things. So the new OC at Old Dominion, uh, he's he comes from the FCS. He coached at Fordham last year. And that was an offense that had three separate 1,000-yard receivers in the same season. And, of course, accordingly, the quarterback also put up massive numbers. Uh, so suffice to say, that was an offense that was extremely productive. Then when you look at the Old Dominion program, uh, Harvey's basically the last man standing. So, of course, the quarterback transferred out this season, but their wide receiver won from a year ago, Allie Jennings, and he averaged like 22 fantasy points per game in one PPR formats last season. He was, he was extremely productive. Uh, he's gone. He's, he transferred to Virginia Tech. Uh, you look at the tight end, Zach Koontz. He disappointed last season, but he was a guy who garnered a lot of targets in years past. He's gone. He went to the NFL. You look at the RB1, Blake Watson. Uh, he transferred to Memphis. Uh, he's a guy that they used in the past game. In fact, he even had wide receiver eligibility on fan tracks up until like this time last year. And he's gone. Uh, so you really only left in terms of skilled players with this guy, this kid, Javon Harvey, who was the wide receiver too last year. I should have looked up his stats. So he, I think he had like 500, maybe 600 yards receiving behind Ali Jennings last season. So he's decently productive already in the old offense as wide receiver too. It's pretty much guaranteed at this point that he is the wide receiver one on that team. And he's like 5'10", 5'11", so I'm not sure if he's going to be on the boundary or in the slot. Uh, I believe it was the slot player who led Fordham in receiving last year. Uh, but one thing to note is in the spring game, he, Harvey I'm talking about, scored two or received two touchdowns. And both quarterbacks, the two quarterbacks that threw him a touchdown, are the two that have been vying for the starting job. So each one, no matter who is vying for the starting job or who wins it, uh, they, they each seem to be quite comfortable targeting Harvey. And I believe Harvey is going to be like their, their go-to guy basically in every situation this season. I, I think the volume that he'll see in terms of targets is going to be extremely monstrous. That's what I'm hoping. Uh, and I think the offense overall, while the team probably will struggle this season, like they, they have kind of a tough schedule. They've got a lot of turnover uh, question marks in terms of when you have a new OC coming in, you know, will he sort of administer that offense? So, you know, smoothly and cleanly in year one, probably not, you know, the, the Western Kentucky in 2021 is kind of uh, an anomaly. Uh, but even if he brings, you know, 70%, or 60% of that, offensive production uh, and successful with that in year one at ODU. Just in terms of off target volume alone, I think Harvey will be uh, quite a valuable commodity, especially in like a PPR format. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite high on Harvey and my approach to this is if I can't have him, neither can Nate uh, or any other content creator. So do with this information what you will. I don't know what his ADP is currently, but uh, if you're in the draft with Nate, you might have to draft him a couple rounds earlier. I love that. And he's a guy that um I you like I the 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 volume on him is starting to turn up a little bit amongst you know the community at large. I think I, I see his name mentioned a, a little more often um there. So that that's that's really, really good uh info all the way around there. 
Um, do you know how much eligibility he has left, by the way? Off the top of your head? I think this is his third season. If I, okay. I don't know. It might be a third or fourth season, but uh, he hasn't been around that long. Like He's not like a fifth or sixth year guy, uh, unless he had some weird Juco route, which I don't know about. But as far as I remember, he's like third or fourth year. There you go. So we probably, if you draft him, you know, odds are maybe maybe multiple years out of him too, which is uh, really, really nice uh, Definitely. there for a CFF option. All right. Justin, well, um, you know, we mentioned, uh, you know, at Volume Pigs on Twitter, we mentioned your Substack. Is there anything in particular that you would like to talk about or to, you know, uh, advertise or anything like that before I let you go here today? Uh, no, I'll, I'll just mention as well. I, I write an article. I try to do once a week with you guys, you know, on top of the sort of standard Volume Pig workload. Uh, but, you know, off season is quickly coming to a close. So I'll be sort of turning a chapter on the type of content that I do in season, uh, planning to do, you know, a waiver wire article, maybe Sunday, early Monday morning in season, uh, a weekly recap article. Uh, and I'm looking, but we don't know for sure yet, but I might get into sort of some DFS content as well. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, hopefully we'll be more involved sort of on video content. Uh, I might even sort of initiate my YouTube channel in season this year, but if not in season, probably at the beginning of next year. Uh, so keep on the lookout for that, and uh, you know, uh, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. If you have feedback on articles, if there's a topic or a player you're interested in, send me a DM or just message me on Twitter. I'm happy to, to write about that as well. All right, volume pig indeed. Well, Justin, thank you for sitting down here with us today, giving us uh, some takes for this upcoming season, uh, and a pleasure to work with you. I'm glad that uh, that we that uh, that we get to uh, have some of your content over at C2C, and uh, hopefully, uh, this is not the the last discussion that the two of us have uh, on a show. So, yeah, thank you uh, for joining us and uh, giving us a few minutes here today. No, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, and yeah, likewise, I, I hope to have more. More conversations, talk more CFF, CPC, what have you with you guys. And uh, yeah, this is cool. This is cool. All right. All right. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm interested to see where his writing career goes here over the next few years. He's somebody that, if he really wants to stick with it, um, can build up quite a following. So uh, obviously, we hope to keep him as long as possible. Uh, and uh, uh, really good to sit down and talk with Justin one on one for the first time since uh, he started here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. Uh, I, I do wish I could have been been on that meeting too, but it was the way the schedules work. But yeah, I mean, Justin has has been absolutely killing it ever since he came over and started writing for us. And like you said, he's one of the most prolific writers in the space right now. Entertaining, thought provoking. Um, but he's highlighting players that, you know, are maybe going a little bit under the radar. So, uh, yeah, that was a great interview. All right. Mountain West Conference. Um, this figures to be, I don't know, probably about as short as the Mac was before we had to touch on Notre Dame and, uh, and, and UConn a little bit there. Um, we are tossing in here at the beginning of all these, uh, some of the C2C winning edge uh, data information. Uh, if you haven't checked out the C2C Winning Edge uh, stuff yet, go ahead and do that. It is available over on campustocanton.com. Uh, the player projections are supposed to be done this week, I believe. So um, that that's uh, uh, really cool stuff, too, broken out uh, by every single team in the FBS. So let's start with Air Force. We are going, again, alphabetically. Um, Air Force, uh, FBS power ranking in the C2C Winning Edge numbers, 82nd and nationally, and they are 5th 
in the Mountain West, so kind of a mid-tier team. But a team that's always tough to deal with because of the style that they play. Uh, that makes really their running backs the only players that are particularly interesting. And it seems like the one running back that everybody's in on this year is John Lee Eldridge. He um, is projected to be the starter. As far as we know, uh, that is going to be the case. A guy that we were a little concerned earlier in the offseason because he was previously listed kind of light, but he has uh, gained some weight reportedly over this offseason. He's now... Uh, I believe at 195, um, which is awesome. So he's supposed to be their leading rusher. Leading rusher Brad Roberts the past few years has been very, very productive. There's usually a couple other guys in the mix. We don't know exactly who those are going to be, but Eldridge as good of a bet as any to lead this backfield, and that makes him pretty valuable. And He falls really, really far in supplemental drafts from what I've seen. We're actually in this startup right now, Colin, for like our home C2C I just took him in what the 37th round, 38th round, something like that. Something like that. Um, which just feels wrong. Um, 36th round. So, I mean, I think the value there is insane uh, for a potential thousand yard season uh, as a kind of as explosive as he is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the big thing with John Lee Eldridge that, that worries me is um, we saw them use Brad Roberts like way more heavily than we've seen other running back usage there in a while. And, and, you know, he's like their fullback. So Eldridge is more of like their, their halfback. They, they run like multiple running backs and they're in that like offense. Um, so I, I don't know. I worry that he's not going to, I don't think he's going to be what Brad Ed, uh, Roberts was. So, but you're also not drafting him at the point where you necessarily need him to be. So I mean, he's if interesting. People, if I, if you had a time machine that could take you forward and you could just see that he runs for over a thousand yards this year, where should he realistically go? I mean, top if he rushes 15 rounds in a startup, right. Or top 20 at, at minimum. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I would say top 20 rounds. If he's going to rush for a thousand yards, obviously touchdowns matter too. He's not going to catch like any passes. So, cause they don't really throw the pass. They don't really throw it much, but yeah, I mean, they they were a good offensive line last year. They returned three starters, so he should have some clear running lanes. They're going to run the ball a lot. Like I'm, I like I said, I'm interested, but I'm all, I'm it's a little more cautious. Like I, I don't know exactly what his uh, touch count is going to be compared to everybody else. They return 81% of their offensive line snaps. So even, you know, really better than three starters, players, other players that got significant playing time. And last year, this was an offensive line that uh, in terms of line yards created, they were second in the country, 3.83 per drive. So, I mean, just, just fantastic there. They don't run a ton of plays. In fact, they are, were 132nd in the country last last. year and plays per minute. Um, but I, I don't think it really matters with how, uh, offensively, uh, they're set up. And part of it's because of their 129th neutral, uh, gain script passing, uh, which is 12%, which is just bonkers. So, uh, Eldridge averaged almost eight yards per carry last year. Even if he doesn't do that again this year, I think the increased volume, which is always the age old question, I think can get him there. So, uh, Eldridge, the only guy on air force that we're targeting right now, but I would pay attention to how this backfield looking. Uh, in the first couple weeks of the season. And if there is another guy that is looking like he uh, is getting some touches as well, I would be uh, uh, helpful there. Boise State, 
Next on the list here, FBS power ranking in the C2C winning edge of 46th in the country, and they're uh, projected to be first in the Mountain West this year. That makes sense. They were in the Mountain West Championship last year against that Fresno team, uh, and they fell short, right, in a very cold yeah. uh, Mountain West uh, Championship game there uh, against Jay Kaner and company. They bring back almost 80% of their offensive production, 16th in the country uh, in returning production, so it makes sense. Um, that that they are projected to finish first in their conference. It matters so much at some of these smaller schools. Quarterback Taylor Green uh, is the first guy I want to talk about here. Green uh, took this job over, it kind of battled it out. There was a lot of just, the, the offense started off the year very, very poor. They had Hank Bachmeyer. Yeah. They you know, brought in a different offense coordinator. Dirk Cutter came in. He installed Taylor Green. And uh, Green, or and yeah, and Taylor Green just went bonkers. He took that job. He never gave it back, and um, so much so that as we talked about a few weeks ago, Hank Bachmeyer had to transfer out to Louisiana Tech. Uh, Taylor Green last year threw for over two thousand yards and ran for another six or seven hundred. Uh, two thousand forty-two yards passing, fourteen touchdowns, six interceptions, another five hundred eighty-eight yards. Uh, and 10 touchdowns there. So uh, he's a, a dual threat, the complete package there from a, a fantasy perspective. He's big. He's 6'5", 6'6", uh, probably 220 to 230 pounds. Um, he, he's the ideal kind of fantasy quarterback that you want on a team that probably is going to score a fair amount of points this year, a team that, um, quite frankly, doesn't have a ton at wide receiver, as we're going to mention here. And then Latrell Caples, who was projected to start, I believe is out for the season now. He suffered an injury recently there um so i think they're going to rely a lot on green and that's that's fantasy gold a quarterback that's dual threat that they're going to rely a lot on i expect a big year out of him and i've been drafting him uh quite a few places i'm i'm slower to come around on the Devi potential for him i will say that but i do think he's the kind of guy where if he has a good year much like guys like jordan travis or or, or jaron hall or some of these guys in the past that or hendon hooker kind of get a little bit of that buzz. And then if you want to sell them, there's probably somebody out there that believes in them as a Debbie asset. I think he's my guy for this year. That's going to do that exact same thing. Taylor Green. Um, I, I could see maybe some people thinking that, but I'm not really there on the uh, Debbie potential either. I don't think he's there as a passer yet. I think as a rusher though, he, yeah, like you said, it provides a lot of value there. I can see, you know, another like 600 ish yards rushing this year from him and I, given his size and given the um, lack of inspiring options as pass catchers, I could see him repeating that 10 touchdowns. Like, I think that's repeatable. You know, I, I don't think we'll see too much rushing touchdown regression from him. I am a little bit more. Um, I'm not low on tail and green, but I'm not as high as other people are. There are people who are, are very high on him. He's been going early in supplementals. He's available in pretty much most supplementals out there. If you have a limited waivers um, league. So I, he's been going pretty early from what I've seen. Um, I'm still typically looking at like freshmen at that point. Like he's been going like rounds three, four, five. So I'm Where not quite do you that have him high. ranked. Where do you have him rank, Colin? I'm looking at my rankings now. Uh, I have uh, him at QB 48, so I'm not like in love, love with him. I like I think that that reflects accurately my feelings on him long term as a Devi option, aka I'm not sure I'm buying it. Uh, and I think he's just outside those elite 
performers at the fantasy position. So even like, I have him behind a guy like John Reese Plumley by a couple spots because I think we know what we're going to get out of uh, JRP this year. Same with a guy like you know, Tyler Shuck, uh, Jaden Daniels. Uh, I expect a little more, uh, at least fantasy consistency out of them. But right after that group, I think that he he fits in there nicely. And other players I have in his range, uh, a couple of like the third tier freshman quarterbacks. So Austin Mack, uh, Sam Levitt. Uh, I have Braylon Braxton there along with him. I actually have Ty Simpson there along with him as well. Lincoln Kineholes. Um, uh, some of those upperclassmen QBs that we're pretty sure aren't NFL guys now. Sam Hartman, uh, Grayson McCall, Davis Brin. That's kind of the group that I have him in right now. And I think part of the allure why I have him a couple spots higher is because he has multiple years left. And I mean, if he wants to leave, he can, I believe after this year and uh, go to the NFL, but I, I have a hard time believing that's going to be the case. Yeah. I don't, I would be very shocked if he went to the left and went for the NFL. Um, I have him ranked 46th. So pretty much in the same spot you do. I have him right there with Chevin Cordero, Tyler Shuck, um, Garrett Schrader, KJ Jefferson. So Right there, and like a, with a group of guys for CFF that I would feel pretty good starting um, as like a QB two. I'm starting him as my QB one. I'm a little bit worried. Um, Tyler Shuck, I have a little bit lower because I'm just a little worried about his injury history. Um, to be honest, I mean, if he starts, if you told me he's going to start all year, I would move him up, but he hasn't done that yet. So I need to see it before I believe that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of the group that he belongs in. So it sounds like we're pretty similar on him. Um, and, you know, the multi-years of eligibility is definitely interesting, especially with, you know, we'll see what Boise State ends up doing, whether, you know, what the Mountain West and Pac-12 end up doing. But I think they're now a, if there is a, a revival of that conference, then they're all of a sudden like a P5 team, which makes them a little bit more interesting. But I'm still kind of out for Debbie purposes. In the startup we're doing now, and I know these startups can really, really differ. I took uh, Taylor Green at the 1210, actually, um, as my second quarterback overall. So it was probably a little bit early, but I took Drake May in the first and then mm-hmm. put off quarterback for 10 plus rounds. And so it was getting to the point where I, I kind of needed another guy to, to, so I wasn't just completely ignoring the position. KJ Jefferson went 9 1. Like to me, that kind of gap between those two doesn't make much sense. And you can talk about whether both went too early or both went too, uh, potentially both went too early, depending on how the quarterbacks are shaking out. Uh, Donovan Smith went the next round at 13-5. I think these are kind of the kind of players that are all very similar and what you can expect out of them. Some really good moments uh, passing, but some really poor ones as well. Guys that have 750 yard and and double digit touchdown rush upside because of the offenses that they're playing in uh, and their specific play styles. So, um, I think that that's that that's and they and the thing about Green and and Smith they both have multiple years left, which I think is is pretty pretty big. Whereas KJ Jefferson, um, I, th- I actually think KJ Jefferson technically has one more year too if he wants it. Man, um, I don't know. <laughs> he might. I'm pretty sure he does. I think I think Nate Marquise posted a, a, a list not that long ago of quarterbacks that had surprising extra years. But yeah, I mean, just you know, kind of thinking about the value gaps between some of these guys. And really, I think what makes a good C2C player is if you can bucket these players correctly and then consistently get the lowest player in the bucket at the best value, yeah. you know, while picking at the kind of the more luxury picks, you know, the you know, identifying good talent. I think that's really how you can build a really strong roster consistently. Um, and obviously you can't do it all the time. But I think Taylor Green's one of those guys that I think if you're bucketing him correctly, 
uh, and taking him at value. I think uh, it's it's not bad for him. There are actually three running backs on Boise's roster that I think are are, are rosterable for C2C purposes. Um, and we've talked about them quite a bit over the past few years. Uh, we're talking George Halani. We're talking Ashton Genty. And then true freshman Jambrace Dubar, who I think probably is rosterable. But as we've talked about on this show, and we, and we can mention here again briefly, I'm not quite as high on him overall as an individual talent. But um, whatever. Last year... Halani, 221 carries. Uh, Ashton Genty had 156. Halani uh, had 1,157 yards and 10 touchdowns. And he also caught 24 passes for 151 yards and three touchdowns as well. Genty uh, had, like I said, 156 carries for 821 yards. So roughly the same efficiency on the ground between those two. Seven touchdowns for him as a true freshman. And then 14 receptions for 155 yards. He is, Genty, uh, the much more explosive receiving option, I would say, even if he didn't score any touchdowns um, last year. Halani, I also believe, as we discussed on a show recently, has two years if he wants it. Uh, a, a local reporter had pointed out that uh, he's one of the ones that uh, is, is is abusing the or attempting to abuse the the COVID year. He might be because yeah. he sat out that year with a with a uh, an injury or something. So they're trying to say that retroactively that he should be able to claim that year. Um, that that whole COVID year should not be able to use as a sword. You should be using no. it as a shield. Um, yeah. That's completely beside the point. Um, so, I mean, those two, that's going to be the backfield this year. And I think there's 2,000 yards between the two of them upside uh, as rushers. This could be a team that runs for 3,000 plus yards between Halani and Taylor Green and Genty, or close, and probably not 3,000, but, you know, 2,500 plus pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I, I could see that pretty easily as well. Like, I, this is just going to be a run heavy team given their personnel. Um, I like Ashton Genty. I hate that George Halani is still around. Like if Genty needs to go somewhere else, um, because I think he's very talented. I think he's a very talented pass catching back as well. And Halani's just kind of there and he's going to vulture touchdowns. He's going to just siphon off work. It's going to be super annoying. I'm not sure how much I'm going to want to start either of these guys, to be honest. Um, yes, I think that they're, they're going to be a run heavy team, but until we kind of see how that split shakes out, um, I'm a little bit skeptical of both of their value this year for, you know, CFF purposes. And then in terms of Jambrace Dubar, um, he's the type of guy that we've talked about a couple of times where like his talent's fine and the situation is like, could potentially be good, but you're probably going to be waiting more than two years for him. I, I just, I wouldn't take him just given how long I think you're going to end up having to wait for him, given the players that are in front of him. Um, but I can see the appeal there. So he's not a player that I've been drafting, but because I, I think you're going to have to wait it out. And I just don't want to use the roster spot on him at this point. The real tipping point is, yeah, if Halani can stay or not, because I think if Halani can stay, then yeah, you you are waiting two years uh, for Dubar. Uh, if not, then I think you get him in a tag team situation with Genty next year, and it could be intriguing um, overall. So, but uh, tough to predict that right now. Wide receiver, as I said earlier, Latrell Caples, who was kind of projected to be their top guy, although I don't think anybody thought that there was going to be a quote-unquote the guy on the team this year. 
uh, went down for a, with a season and the injury. They do have Stefan Cobb still there, who people kind of liked last year as a guy that could step up there and be their wide receiver one. Um, could be a post type. Who knows? They also have Billy Bowens there. Uh, Austin Bolt is a wide receiver tight end hybrid who got lost for the season, I believe, right at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Missed the entire year. Sounds like he's probably back. Uh, really, really athletic guy, uh, but not really a tight end, kind of like one of those, but but has played it in the past, so he does have that eligibility. And then the only other name that I do want to toss out, because it sounds like he's been getting uh, some hype uh, during this offseason, is Prince Strawn, who's a true freshman there. Uh, he, Mike Strawn with the Colts, who's been there for a while. That's uh, He's with the Colts, right? He was. Yeah, I, I always thought his last. Name, I thought it was Strachan, but I, didn't I think it's Strawn. I think it's it's I'm, Jamaican or it's Caribbean of some sort, and it's so it has like a like a slight you know whatever change a different pronunciation when you say it. Um, I'm but always Strawn, terrible pronouncing names anyway. So it, we 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 have <laughs> uh, noticed that gone. Um, six four one eighty five, and and his brother is a big athletic guy too who played like d2 or something or fcs or smaller school. i think it was fcs yeah um so he's been getting some hype so if you're looking for a guy i think it's too early to roster him i don't think you have to roster him today in a normal league but i think watch list i think pay attention to snaps on a weekly basis if he's starting to get more snaps then maybe he becomes intriguing because he is a big athletic guy um and uh, the school like boise that can be a huge difference maker. Yeah, I, I think he's definitely named a monitor. Uh, out of the pass catching group, Austin Bolt's really the only one that I'm uh, interested in, and only in deeper leagues. Um, and it's really just because of the tight end eligibility. But like you said, he's big, he's athletic. He got some buzz last year in camp, and then injured himself. I think I don't. I don't even remember if he got to week one, but if he did, it was in week one where he got hurt and was lost for the year. Um, does sound like he's back. So I could be I, I could be convinced to roster him in a standard league, depending on my tight end situation, like we've talked about before, then then the approach it there. Um, but the rest of the guys, I'm probably not rostering at this point. Yeah, it really just depends on how prolific you think Taylor Green is as a passer. Like we said, just over 2000 yards last year, probably not enough passing volume in their current state to yeah. uh, make anybody super fantasy relevant. Uh, Unless maybe you in play a bold at tight end. Tough. Yeah. Um, Colorado State next here on the list. FBS power ranking of 103, according to the C2C winning edge. Uh, Mountain West, they are projected to be eighth this year, at least from a talent perspective. Clay Millen, a quarterback, a guy that I really, really liked uh, last year. I think Norvell's offense is very, very clear on what they want to do. They want to push the ball downfield as much as humanly possible. Um, they want a big arm quarterback to be able to do that. Carson Strong was that guy uh, previously. And Millen, uh, I think, does really the same thing uh, or can do the same thing, but uh, is a little more mobile. Uh, obviously, does not have a, a lengthy list of, of knee injuries like Strong did. <laughs> uh, really kind of struggled last year. And I don't know how much of that. Like, it's really, really tough for me to parse out exactly how much of the issue last year was Clay Millen and how much of it was how bad the offensive line is, which was amongst the worst uh, in the country. They did work to rebuild that line this year, but it seems like a lot of the transfers that they brought in or, or the the solutions that they're trying came from smaller schools. So that can always be uh, a bit of a crapshoot, but they they are um, bigger 
bodied guys. They're not undersized. So um, long story short there, I, I think it's still, the jury's still out a little bit on Clay Millen. He didn't even throw for 2,000 yards last year, but he did complete 72% of his passes. His deep ball act- accuracy actually was amongst the best in the nation. He just wasn't always given the time to throw to do that. So I do right. think the glimpses uh, of what he can do were still there. It wasn't like he was out there just, you know, th- Jordan loving his last year <laughs> of college where he just loved throwing to the other team. Uh, 10 touchdowns, six interceptions. He doesn't offer much with his legs. So if that offensive line does not improve this year, then it's not going to be great. But I do, I, I have more hope for him this year. I do think this is an offense that, you know, I'm not expecting 3,500 yards passing, this high flying attack where you've got multiple players that are really, really interesting. But I do think 2750 passing, another big year out of Torrey Horton, and an ancillary piece to get you six to 800 yards is well within reach. And I think that would be a good year for everybody involved there and a building block for that following year where Millen's third year starting. Uh, Horton can come back if he wants. And then you've got some of these other receivers that are going to be perhaps more intriguing. Yeah. I think Clay Millen is, is a uh, post hype sleeper of sorts here. Like I'm definitely interested in Clay Millen, the lack of rushing ability and the concern with the offensive line is the only thing holding me back from being more bullish on him because that I think that's a very real possibility that the line isn't as bad as we saw it last year and is still not great. Uh, I think that that's a very real outcome there. But so I, I would definitely roster Millen. Um, I wouldn't feel comfortable if he was a starter or really even in my starting rotation. He's more of like a QB four five for yeah. me at this point. And then, you know, you, I mean, we can move into like the wide receivers. Well, then too. I, I want to ask you real quick, Colin, last year, can you guess what their neutral game pass uh, uh, script pass rate was, which is like, oh, yeah, I, I, have it up. Okay. I have it up in front of me. Okay. So it was 20% lower than the normal average. Yes. Yes. And you can, uh, this particular tidbit comes from our CFF guide, yes. um, which you can find over at the website, campuscanton.com. Uh, 38%. Last year, neutral game script pass rate, which was 109th in the country. That means when the game was basically still in the balance and, you know, uh, they, they which wasn't it. very long for Colorado no, State. <laughs> they passed it 38 percent of the time, which usually he they threw they pass it 58 percent of the time in those situations like they realized really quickly that they just could not run the same offense that they want to run. There It was a very bare cupboard bringing over some even with all the guys they brought over from Nevada, still uh, a struggle overall there. Uh, but yeah, let's move into the receivers. I mean, I think Torrey Horton, we don't have to talk about him much. He's a top five fantasy wide receiver for this year, at least, you know, in preseason. I feel very, very good putting him there. He was excellent last year, even on this team that could barely throw. He didn't even throw for 2,000 yards. Uh, he saw enough volume uh, to finish the season with uh, 1,131 yards. So just absolute monster. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, 1,100 out of 1,900 yards is what he got. Uh, you do the math. I, even if he doesn't, even if he sees a downtick in overall market share this year, if that offense can get back close to what they're normally doing from a passing rate perspective, I expect, uh, I think like 1,000 yards is a slam dunk in a healthy season. Oh, like, easily. No doubt about it. Easily, yeah. Um, no doubt about 1,000 yards there. He was the wide receiver 16 last year on a team that was not very good. Um can he maintain that type of a market share? Maybe not quite that dramatic, but 
like we talked about, this team should hopefully be able to install their their real offense in year two. You know, Jay Norvell and the offensive coordinator, Matt Mummy, is the uh, son of Hal Mummy, who was like kind of the inventor of the air raid. So they run a very air raid offense, up tempo, throw the ball a lot. Volume should increase overall. Bigger pie. Torrey Horton doesn't necessarily need as big of a slice of the pie as last time to still have the same size slice, given that the pie is getting bigger. Very eloquently put. Colin. Thank you. You're your master you're, of metaphors and, and a good baker. I bet too. Um, talking about pie justice, Ross Simmons projects to be their wide receiver too. Is a guy that's uh, a pretty big bodied guy and him and Horton both. I mean, Horton's six, two and, and justice uh, Ross Simmons listed at six, three over 200 pounds. Um, we think he's going to be the second guy there. And if this offense were to take off, it seems like he's the obvious guy to point to and say, um, this is the player that benefits uh, quite a bit from it. Um, 26 catches last year, 424 yards and three touchdowns. Um, I like, I, I just think having him on the opposite side there of Torrey Horton, uh, can, can take some attention away, uh, between the two of them. And I do think they make a really interesting uh, duo along with Dylan Goffney, who I think could be interesting there as a deep kind yeah. of downfield guy. Cause the other two are more possession y kind of intermediate game guys. So I do think Goffney kind of fills a role there. And I do think the three of them uh, is a really interesting group overall. And I have a lot of hope for them. I do too. And I mean, this offense, Mike Norvell's offense or Jay Norvell's offense, uh, we saw it at Nevada and they had two high level wide receivers, uh, like pretty much each year that they were there. Elijah cooks, um, Romeo Dubes, Torrey Horton was, you know, flashed when he was there too, before they moved him over. They also had Cole Turner at tight say, end. They had a tight end. Yeah. So there, there can definitely be multiple productive pieces in this offense. So I think Justice Ross Simmons and Dylan Goffney are two guys who are underrated right now. And hand up, I'm definitely um, contributing to that with Ross Simmons. I'm not even sure if I have him ranked at this point, and that's a uh, that's an oversight on my end because I'm not able to find him in my rankings here. So, um, yeah, I that's that's a mistake on my end. Um, it's an oversight. I need to correct that one. I have found myself as the offseason goes on taking a lot of these. Um, I it's t- I can't quite put Ross Simmons in the same category, category, but I do where it's basically like the N plus one wide receiver on a team. Yeah. Like if there's two there and we think there could be like, who's the third. And if there's one guy who can be the second, you're kind of trying to guess who that guy is because that offense outperforms a little bit or somebody gets hurt. You might have a guy stepping into some really good situation there spending a lot of late draft picks on guys like Ross Simmons, like uh, Tyke Ogle Kellogg, who's at UTSA, mm-hmm. uh, or Carpenter, who's also the other guy there, like um, the uh, Jeremy Bernard and Polk at Washington. Um, I'm trying to think of some other offenses that, I, that I've been doing this with Wake Forest, if you can figure sure. out who their third guy well, is, um, which uh, Green went down, so it sounds like yeah. it could be um, uh, Wesley Grimes, a guy that we all like, but I've been taking a lot of Donovan Green and a lot of Wesley Grimes. Um, just kind of figuring out who that third guy is in an offense or that, that N plus one guy, essentially. Um, and it's it, so I, I, Ross Simmons has been very, very attractive to me in those builds uh, as a late round guy. The other, we talked about tight ends that that they've been able to support over the, the past couple of years. They do bring in a transfer, uh, Dallin Holker from BYU. Now Holker uh, somewhat famously basically saw that he wasn't going to get as much work as he wanted last season. And he sat out after that third game to preserve his eligibility, entered the transfer portal. 
but he got a lot of buzz last year uh, in their spring and fall camps before the season. So I'm not exactly sure what happened. He's a pretty athletic guy. He's 6'5". He's 230 plus. Um, has averaged over 12 yards per reception over the course of his career so far at BYU. I think he's a really attractive, if you're non-anchor tight end, and you've got you know four or five, maybe even six tight ends on your roster, I think he fits really well in one of those builds because he could be a guy that ends up breaking out this year, and he could be the second or you know second and a half, third option here on this Colorado State offense. I like Holker uh, a lot. You diversify that position, so I maybe have two or three of him across my teams, but I, I like him, and I it wouldn't shock me at all if he has a good year. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see him having a good year as well. Like I mentioned before, you know, Cole Turner in this offense previously uh, had a good year as well or multiple good years. So, you know, the tight end can definitely be productive in this offense. Um, I'm I'm interested in Holker. I don't know if I have him rostered in any place, maybe one. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he's perfectly fine in that group of, of like a cluster of tight ends. Um, he could definitely be a guy that is worth starting in, in certain spots. Head over to Fresno State, team that figures to take a little bit of a step back with the departure of um, uh, Jake Hayner and Jordan Mims and um, that, that crop of wide receivers, uh, many of, of whom have, are now gone as well. Um, I think I want to start this, this team. Well, 74th overall power ranking on the FBS, according to C2C winning edge and third in the mountain West. So step back, but not a huge step back here for them uh, within the context of the conference. Uh, Malik Sherrod, I think is a good place to start here for Fresno. He was the direct backup to Jordan Mims last year. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Tedford is the head coach here and he does tend to rock with one running back. And so we expect that to be Sherrod. Um, and I think this is another one where if we knew for sure that he can be, 80 to 90% of what we've gotten from we got from Jordan Mims last year. I think he'd be going much earlier in drafts, but as it stands, I think there's still some slight uh, question marks there. And so he tends to fall a little bit, but I think that he, with his receiving ability, with his ability to be a bell cow, I think I really like him. And I think he is undervalued right now in C2C leagues. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he's undervalued as well. My Biggest concern with him is his size. He's small. I think he's like 185. Um, but I, like you said, Tedford seems to want to rock with one guy. You know, we've seen multiple people there be successful. Um, so I think it's more of a system thing. And I think Sherrod will fit the system and it'll be, it'll be solid. You know, I'm, if he's my RB two, I'm scared. If he's like my RB four or five, then I feel pretty good about that because I think the ceiling is definitely there uh, for him to be a, a starting caliber running back. I just have enough question marks that I'm not loving it if I have to start him. But the good thing is, like you said, I think he's undervalued right now. I don't know that everybody just necessarily caught up to Sherrod and what his potential could be. I have him as a flex uh, option in quite a few leagues uh, where I'll probably week one uh, be rocking with him. And I uh, really don't hate that, um, especially because I believe uh, upcoming game-wise, they play Purdue, Eastern Washington, Arizona State, Kent State, Nevada to open the season. So uh, a fairly juicy schedule. Down the stretch is actually a little 
uh, tough, uh, at least according to some of the projected numbers uh, that I'm looking at. San Diego State, uh, San Jose State, Boise, three of the final four weeks. So uh, maybe not a guy that you want to get in the playoffs too much, but I think a guy that can definitely get you there. Um, I don't think that I am interested in rostering any of the wide receivers on this team at this stage, but I know that there has been an argument to be made for Josiah Freeman specifically. I know when Eric Froton was at the uh, combine draft combine and he asked, I think so. uh, He asked Hayner who the next guy up there was. And he said, uh, Josiah Freeman. Uh, And I think, you know, people have kind of fixated on that. Uh, A bigger guy, 6'3", 200, uh, has a few years of eligibility left there for them. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it is, he is an interesting guy. He's pretty athletic uh, for sure. I'm just not sure exactly how prolific uh, this pass attack will be with Mikey Keene there. And so I have not been taking any receiving options here. Um, It's uh, Jalen Gill actually also has wound up here as well. A guy that I kind of liked three years ago uh, when he was, I forgot State. Jalen. They went to Boston. Yeah, College. he was at Ohio State, and yeah, I was gonna say I, I didn't realize that he was at Fresno now. Um, but yeah, I think that Josiah Freeman is really the only guy that I would be interested in rostering. I don't have him rated that highly, but I can definitely see the appeal. And I think Mikey Keene is like he's not somebody. Mikey Keene isn't a player that I want to roster as a quarterback, but I think he can be fine for an offense like. We saw him at UCF, uh, and I think if it wasn't Gus Malzahn's offense, Mikey Keene would have won that starting job over John Reese Plumley because I think he is a better quarterback than John Reese Plumley. Not that he's necessarily a good, he's not a great quarterback, Mikey Keene, but he's he's solid. So he can, I think he's the type of quarterback that can support. And like a fantasy relevant option. So there is definitely appeal for Freeman. I'm just not, I just have not been in the position where uh, my rosters have been in a place that I was like, I should add a Josiah Freeman. You haven't been desperate. <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah, basically. Hawaii heading over there next here. C2C winning edge, 132nd in the country. And if you're sitting there at home Ooh. wondering, uh, that is next to last, but they're also projected 11th, AKA next to last in the mountain West. So we get to present to you guys tonight, the worst stone cold team in the FBS. And we'll get to them here shortly. <sighs> Hawaii's tough. I think Tylen Hines is the only guy that I am really considering from this team. And even he is kind of a, you know, RB six, seven, eight on a team, uh, in terms of players that I want to roll out there on a week to week basis was extremely efficient last year. And this is, again, the the age-old discussion. Does the uh, efficiency stay pretty good when the volume increases on 83 carries? He had 634 yards and two touchdowns, which is a 7.6 yards per carry average. Also had nine catches for 82 yards. Hawaii always kind of has this scat back kind of guy. I mean, they've had uh, Day-Day Hunter, and before him they had... um, um, Calvin Turner? Yep. Calvin Turner. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, they have had over the past few years, a guy that can catch passes and is pretty efficient with his touches. So it gives him a really nice uh, floor overall. So Heinz, I find the most interesting, everybody else in this team, uh, kind of icky. I definitely find Heinz the most interesting. Um, I'll, I'll push back on the kind of icky, um, for the rest of the roster. 
I think there is a a low a low floor, but I do really like the ceiling um, because, like we talked about with Colorado State, um, Hawaii was in a very similar position where this roster was just gutted. The team was not very good. They bring in Timmy Chang, who runs a very fantasy friendly offense. Um, so I and and he couldn't he didn't have the pieces to install that offense the way that he wanted to last year. So I think we're still kind of left with a bad taste in our mouth about Hawaii. I don't think they're the second worst team in uh, the FBS. I, I don't think they're great, but their offense is going to be fun. So I'm interested in more pieces besides just Heinz, but Heinz is definitely, definitely the guy that I'm the most interested in. I think we should at least mention, because if the offense is fun, then perhaps Braden Shager is interesting at quarterback. Um, he was not really that effective last year, completed 55% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. But again, they did not install the run and shoot like they are expected to this year. So not a lot of, uh, I think, easy uh, reps on a, on a, uh, a drive-to-drive basis. Um, so I am slightly hopeful. I mean, I, I think it would be hard to be quite as bad as he was last year. And there's really no uh fear of him getting benched i mean there's not a ton of super talented guys behind him anyway so i think they're going to probably roll with shager through the entire year yeah i would agree with that i i like shager i think they're going to roll with him throughout the whole year um he has multiple years of eligibility left i think like at least two maybe even three and he doesn't really seem like the type of guy who's going to leave hawaii uh, and if he's fine, I think he just stays at Hawaii and is the starter for a couple of years there. If, if there's no NFL hope for you and you're penciled in as the starting quarterback at Hawaii state, why would you leave Hawaii? Yeah. Why? Yeah. I don't know what the campus looks like. I'm assuming it's beautiful. <laughs> if I, if I just had to take a guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am interested in, in Shager. I, like I said, I think the floor is pretty low if they're not able to get that offense off the ground, like we hope this year, but if they are, they are able to improve that offense. I think there's that there could be a lot of volume for him. And I do think this defense is going to be really bad. Um, so maybe they're not the 132nd worst team, but their defense might be, you know, 130 ish. Like I could see that. That wouldn't surprise me. So they're going to be in a lot of shootouts. So I think the volume will be there. I am interested in Shager. I have him ranked as my 74th quarterback right now. So he's like right in a cluster with like Casey Thompson, Emory Jones, Emory Emory Williams, Jeff Sims, um, DJ Irons. He's like right in that group. I have him behind that group, uh, admittedly, probably by about 10 or 15 spots. Um, if we had to guess his top target, it seems like conventional wisdom for now is Jonah Pinoke, uh, 27 catches, 312 yards, 11 touchdowns last season. And he's a guy with pretty good size there. Six, one, 200. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm a care about a receiver on this team. And if I, if I do, I'm not like, yeah, conventional wisdom is saying this guy, and that might be true. You know, I'm not, uh, uh, doubting anybody here by that potentially but i don't know that we 100 percent know that and so i just find not taking a hawaii wide receiver and if some guy stands out uh then i'll go get him but this feels like one of those offenses where it just a guy could come out of nowhere and 
um, really wouldn't be that surprising. So I'm not going to waste a roster spot on a, a maybe on a team that might only throw for 2,000 yards. That's 100% how I feel about this wide receiver room. I feel pretty good that they're going to throw for more than 2,000 yards this year. Um, but I don't know who the wide receiver is going to be. It really does feel like it's somebody who's going to come out of nowhere. Um, if if you have to roster one, I think Pinoke, it would be the guy that I would be interested in. But they have a couple other guys there. TMA, I'm not going to try to pronounce his yeah, name. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was revving up to maybe try it, but you, yeah, you, thank you. Thank you for that call. Mokiyalo yeah. Atamalala, I think is how you say his oh, last name. Oh, okay, good try. I, I mean, I don't know that it was right. I don't know that it was wrong, but I commend the effort. Thank you, thank you. That's all uh, we can do they, around here. Yeah, and they also have Waltall. Um, oh, so yeah, you take the guy that with the, you know, the, the easier Saxon name. last name that you can pronounce. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, any one of those guys could be interesting. They also have a wide receiver with the last name of Hines, too. I think Chucky or Charles, something along those lines. Um, so, they have a couple different guys at receiver. So, I'm not really re- interested in rostering anybody there right now, even though I do think this Hawaii offense is going to be better this year. I just will wait to see who it is because I don't think these guys are being rostered in very many leagues at all. So, I'll just wait. Nevada. Next on the list here, FBS power ranking of 124 in the winning edge, uh, 10th in the Mountain West. So uh, not too really projected to be too much of a step up here from Hawaii. Uh, Colin wrote down Sean Dollar's question mark at running back, (laughs) and that's the only player that we listed here. Um, So I will let you talk about Sean Dollar's. What I will say about Sean Dollar's, is he a guy that I actually did really like when he kind of flashed very, very early in his career at Oregon? But injuries uh, and just getting recruited over ended up spelling the end of his tenure there. I there were rumors at one point that he was done playing football. Yeah, uh, due to, in part to the injury. So I am not really sure production wise what he looks like this year. So I do not think he's rosterable, and I don't think Colin truly does either. No. But uh, Sean Dollars, there, there's a name there, and they, they have he got some positive reviews out of camp. Yeah, he got some positive buzz out of camp. He's transferring down from Oregon. He had some flashes at Oregon. If you make me pick a name from Nevada to roster, it would be Sean Dollars. So that's why I put the name on here with the question mark, just so we didn't talk about absolutely nobody. But that's really all I have to say. We about could have. I mean, we're about to dollars. talk about New Mexico for all of two seconds, and they don't have Okay, anybody. well, that's fair. New Mexico is next. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier a few a few minutes ago that there was the, the worst team, the FBS in here. Well, we found them. It's supposed to be New Mexico, 133rd FBS power ranking and 12th overall in the Mountain West. And as you would imagine, we do not have a single player on this roster that we think is interesting at all. Um, and there's no depth that I would go to on this team to even attempt it. Um, nope. So that's that's that. You put a gun to my head. I couldn't name anybody on New Mexico's roster. Got to keep the meme alive. Got to keep the meme alive. The people have been asking for more gun to the head, Colin. They have. They have. San Diego State is next up here. And this is uh, traditionally, or at least over the past eight to 10 years, been known as a team that plays really good defense and then usually has a pretty good running back on the roster. And that's kind of what makes this offense operate 72nd overall in the FBS power ranking and second overall in the Mountain West. So this is a team that probably can compete for the conference, even though there's like maybe one and a half players that are interesting <laughs> for our purposes. 
and I'm not even sure it's that many. Keenan Kristen is their projected starting running back. This is a track star. This is the dollar store version of Devin Achain, essentially. Wanted to run track <laughs> and play football. He's a thrift USC. store version. That's probably a better, a better uh, yeah, uh, level for him. Couldn't make it to USC. He's at San Diego State now. Um, I don't I really don't feel that great about him being their starting running back for the entire season personally not that there is some guy coming for his job i just don't know that he's that great or that he will stay healthy for a whole year or that he can handle a whole a full you know whatever the workload so count me out on the keenan Kristen hype train even though i was uh, amongst the first to roster him as a true freshman at usc many years ago uh, i am not super interested at this point yeah i'm <sighs> I'm sort of interested in him just because like San Diego state can be such a good system. Uh, they had Rashad Penny there. They had Danelle Pumphrey, who I think is their like all time leading rusher at five foot eight, 176 pounds. Um, so, I mean, he is, yeah. Uh, in 2016, Pumphrey passed Ron Dane for the most, for the all-time NCAA Division One FBS lead in career rushing yards, um, so prolific rusher at five foot eight, one hundred seventy-six pounds. So if Keenan Christian can Christian can stay healthy, then I think he could be really good for your fantasy team. I, I think he could be very sneaky, but it's just too many ifs for me to want to roster him, to be honest. So love that system, just no player that I love there in the running back room. And that's all I have. I do know some people are mildly, mildly interested in Jalen Maiden, who is a dual threat quarterback. They do have a freshman QB that has gotten some uh, intrigue there as well, who has a very long Polynesian name. Um, I don't have it in front of me, and I definitely don't know how to pronounce it off the top of my head. Um, but that's it. I mean, I think that's really all we're yeah. looking at here uh, with San Diego State. So again, a, a team that projected to be a pretty good team, but their uh, their their you know run and defense uh, is kind of how they do things there. San Jose State is next here, uh, projected fourth in the Mountain West Conference power ranking, seventy fifth in the country. Not a lot separating them and San Diego State, uh, but some more options here. Siobhan Cordero, their quarterback, is a guy that uh, I think we all like. I, I think I, I wouldn't say love, but I do think that he can be an interesting QB. He finishes the QB thirty three. Last year, and I could see a similar uh, ranged finish uh, for him this year, uh, even though he loses his top uh, receiving weapon in Elijah Cooks. Yeah, Chevin Cordero is a guy that I like this year, too. I think he can be um, a very, I think he can be a, you know, back end. No, I'm not even going to say back end. I think he could be a mid tier QB, too, for your team. Um, you know, if, if I'm starting him as my QB two, I feel okay about it. Um, because I mean, this team last year, they were 11th in neutral game script pass rate. Uh, they were 114th in pace. I would expect that to improve. So they're going to throw the ball. They're probably going to run more plays than they did last year. Um, so I, I think this offense and, and Chevin Cordero, like I think QB 33 is, Pretty close to his floor, assuming he can stay healthy. Um, but let's talk about his two options here. So Justin Lockhart projected to be his top wide receiver. He was uh, reasonably 
solid last year, but uh, saw some news here today that he was spotted at practice today with a cast on his arm. I hate that because I have a yeah. lot of lock art this year. Oh, did I just break that news to you, Colin? <laughs> you did, yeah. Sorry, did sorry. Yeah, that. I know you were busy today. It was discussed yeah. in the uh, the Slack a little bit. So uh, no news there. It could be, you know, minor. It could be, you know, just a, just a few weeks or something like that. Maybe missed the first couple weeks of the season. Uh, but that does. I, I don't over- want to hear that at all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, Colin. I, I, I am. I, I actually have a lot of him, too, although I don't know that I was counting on him uh, specifically anywhere. Um, Charles Ross could be the guy that steps in uh, while he's gone. And I'd be lying if I said I knew much about him. But I know our CFF team uh, likes him a little bit. Uh, so that's where I, yeah, I'm going to put my faith in them. And if I have to go find another guy, it's Charles Ross. Yeah, yeah, Charles Ross was the the second guy that I was, you know, sort of keeping an eye on there. Um, I wasn't really drafting him anywhere because I think I was assuming healthy Lockhart would step into that Elijah Cook's role and he would be like pretty productive there. Uh, and then Charles Ross would just be like, OK, uh, especially given, who you know, we'll talk about the tight end in a minute. You know, I, they they use the tight end pretty well there, too. So I don't know how much would be left over for Ross, but. If Lockhart does miss does miss significant time, Ross is a lot more interesting, and he is probably available in your league. I would be willing to wager. Yeah, if you want to talk about you know n plus one player, uh, I think he certainly fits in that category. Um, and then the tight end, I, I don't really have any thoughts on Dominic Mazzotti, but I think you do. You're you're kind of a Mazzotti, yaddy 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 yaddy. No, I tonight's show, guys. I don't do this anymore. <laughs> No, I do like uh, Dominic Mazzotti. Um, he is a guy that I've been taking in a fair number of places, especially as a um, like like the the multiple tight end approach that we've kind of been talking about. Um, he goes pretty cheap. He's available in pretty much all supplemental leagues. Um, so I I like Mazzotti. This team he does use a good uh, the does use the tight end a good amount and he finished the year pretty strong uh, in his last four games, 26.5, 5.7, 17.9 and 16.5 fantasy points. Um, they were a little bit more touchdown dependent, but he had eight, four, seven and six targets. So he got targeted uh, fairly heavily down the stretch. Um, so I, I do like Mazzotti. Um, he's like, pretty prototypical size for a tight end too, like six, four, two fifty. So like they can keep him on the field in like a new, in a, a lot of different situations. So I like Mazzotti. Uh, he's one of the, the later tight ends that I've been targeting. I'm sold. Kerry Robinson is their running back for this year. Unless they, they see an uptick in rushing usage. I'm not super interested. 750 yards last year, 10 touchdowns. He does catch passes whatever that's worth. I, I, you could do a lot worse if you desperately need a guy at the end of your draft, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not really all that interested in Kyrie Robinson. Like you said, I guess you could do worse if you needed somebody at the end of a draft, but I think this team's going to throw the ball more. I mean, like I said, they were 11th in neutral game script pass rate. So I don't expect that to change too much. Let's talk about a really exciting team. Actually, a team that I, I think is going to be better than uh, people think uh, going into the season. UNLV 
FPS power ranking 88th. That's pretty good for a UNLV squad that, that year to year is not super competitive. Sixth overall in the Mountain West. Um, I I like this team this year. I, and there's a couple players on the team that I actually like quite a bit. Part of that due to new offensive coordinator Brenna Marion, who has a reputation as uh, really specifically working with receivers, but with the go-go offense in his past, um, they, they he wants to you know move the ball pretty quickly. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is this is going to be a fun offense. Doug Brumfield's their quarterback. He's a dual threat kind of guy. Um, projected to be the starter again this year. Last year, completed sixty five percent of his passes. Uh, under 2,000 yards, though. They weren't uh, really a team that could push the ball downfield, and it wasn't super high volume either. Uh, 10 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Uh, he also ran for 261 yards. He did get banged up, uh, only played in 10 games, and I think he wasn't really – he got injured. I want to say it was like the third or fourth game of the season or something. He started off the year pretty hot uh, and then really kind of struggled a little bit down the stretch. So I think a fully healthy Brumfield, I think he's a sneaky – you know, QB three upside kind of guy this year. Um, if, if everything kind of goes right for them, uh, cause he has a good, he has a, a very good wide receiver that he can throw to. And I do think again, that more, more volume will be there for him this year for sure. If he's healthy. Yeah. I think the volume will improve. I, I think Brumfield is an interesting option. Like you said, he had some flashes at times last year. Um, you know, and, and we talked about his wide receiver in a moment, but you know, it's always nice when they have like a pretty clear cut wide receiver one that they can kind of go to. Uh, I do like that, especially in like a G five type of an offense. Um, so, and I agree. I think UNLV should be better this year. I think not to get too far off on a tangent, but I think UNLV could be one of the teams that's really interesting with all this realignment going on. Hmm, uh, just kind of cause like where they're positioned. Um, and like Las Vegas sports have really been kind of pushing and growing as well. Uh, and they have a pretty solid high school rec- that they can recruit from in the background of Bishop, uh, Bishop Gorman. So, yep. uh, they, I think could be a very interesting player in this whole realignment thing. Um, but yeah, back on topic, Doug Brumfield, uh, definitely rosterable. Uh, Ricky White is the guy that he's going to be throwing it to this year. Um, they had a pretty good connection again last year before Brumfield got hurt. And then uh, the drop off uh, there ultimately hurt Ricky White's stats quite a bit. Uh, Ricky White, if you remember him a couple years ago, started off his career at uh, Michigan State, had that huge breakout game, actually played in high school with Harrison Bailey and um, uh, Eric Gilbert. Gilbert. And Kimani Vidal, I think, was that running back, actually, oh. running back at Troy. Yeah, uh, it was a pretty good high school team overall down there in Georgia. Um, White ended up finishing last year uh, just over 50 catches, 619 yards, and four touchdowns. If there's some increased volume here, like, I think you could see a 70... Nah. I want to give him 7,900 and, and a handful of touchdowns. I, I think we could very, very well see that. Um, and I think he's very underrated going into the season. I like him quite a bit. I'm not saying that's like the median projection for him, but I do think, again, an uptick in this offense benefits him more, more than anybody really at the skill positions. Yeah, I mean, 7,900 is a lot of yards. Uh, I don't know how he's going to hit that. It's a 700 to 900. No, I know you said 7,900 and I forget how many touchdowns. And like in my head, I was like, wait, 7,900. Um, it just threw me off. 
but no, I, I think 70 catches, 900 yards. I think that is, um, you know, that's probably like 80th, 90th percentile outcome for him. But I think that's very much in his, you know, range of outcomes. So I, I think that's, you know, in the reasonable top end for him. And that would be a really good year for him. And you're not paying that price for him right now. So I think I do think he is kind of underrated. It's tough uh, because the last really, you know, a great wide receiver that Marion worked with was uh jordan addison a pit mm-hmm. but it's tough to say how much of his production that year was marion based and how much of it was whipple based their offensive coordinator at the time marion was actually the wide receiver coach for pit uh on that team so um i i have a hard time parsing that out like i don't want to be too Same. bullish on ricky white i'm not over drafting him like and obviously that's like you just said you know that's probably the 80th to 90th percentile outcome for him for the year but i think it's achievable Mm-hmm. And I think if this offense takes the leaps that they could take, then yeah, I mean, I think I think I do expect some really good things from Ricky White, especially because there's not a lot really else here at the wide receiver position on the roster. I know uh, Jacob De Jesus got some buzz this offseason. He is a smaller receiver. I don't have really fully fleshed out thoughts on him. I just think it's the White show, uh, quite frankly, this year. Yeah, and and you bring up a good point about Marion. Uh, I, I do credit most of that to Whipple, and Whipple was a huge reason why I was so interested in Trey Palmer last year. Um, you know, I, I thought he would have a huge year in, in that Whipple offense. So if Marion does try to bring that Whipple offense to UNLV, and if he can run it reasonably successfully, then we could be looking at some really big numbers from Ricky White. And I think if he does have the type of year that you're talking about there, there is some like sixth, seventh round draft potential for Ricky White. Um, let's just go straight to Utah State. Then I don't think there's anybody else here. They did have Aiden Robbins as their running back last year, and he transferred out. Mm-hmm. It now sounds like maybe Vincent Davis is their guy. He's a former Pitt running back. I I don't find him super interesting as a, a starting running back. I don't think he can handle a full load, um, at least based on what I've seen out of him the past several years uh, with the Panthers. Utah, Utah State, 114th uh, FBS power ranking and ninth in the Mountain West overall. Um, for me, there is only one player here that I'm interested in, and that's Terrell Vaughn. I get some arguments for Cooper Lagat, QB, and then you can talk about Robert Briggs here uh, too, Colin, because he's a guy that's not really on my radar. I mean, I, I, I know who he is, but, but not super intriguing to me. Vaughn last year... Uh, led this team in receiving, and this was a team that had a hell of a time throwing the ball um, because they had never really had a fully healthy quarterback throughout the entire season. Everybody was was injured and, and dealing with something. Uh, but Vaughn, who is a, a bigger-bodied guy, there ended up with 56 catches for 624 yards and five touchdowns. It sounds like they want to uh, play at a little quicker pace this year, and last year they ran – uh, they, they were 24th in the country in offensive pace, but they couldn't always sustain drive. So it didn't necessarily always matter. I expect them to run a few more plays this year. I expect the quarterback to play to be at least a little bit better there, uh, with Laga uh, there a little more experienced. Um, I'm not expecting, you know, a, a huge spike for Vaughn, but I do think he can be a bi-week filling kind of guy, um, who is potentially a little more than that. So that's, that's where I have him ranked, uh, right now. And I think, I, I do have him on a handful of rosters as a bench depth guy. Uh, see, I'm I'm much higher on this offense, and it's something I talked about with Chris Moxley when I had him on. I forget when that was. It was earlier in the summer. 
Um, but I think Utah State is going to bounce back offensively. Like you touched on, they want to pl- play a little bit quicker. And even if they don't, they're 24th uh, in the country in offensive pace is pretty dang good. They were 114th last year in neutral game script pass rate, which is very low for a Blake Anderson offense. He is traditionally much more of a, a, a throw the ball type of a guy. They play four wide receivers. They spread it out. They tend to play quick. We like Blake Anderson offenses up until last year. And I think, you know, some issues at the quarterback position, Logan Bonner getting hurt, breaking in Cooper Lega. Like I think Cooper Lega is fine as a quarterback. Like I think he's okay. Um, you know, and he has a dual threat ability, which makes him like intriguing for me. Like I think he's rosterable. Um, you know, he's on the lower end of rosterable for me, but he is in the, he is rosterable. Um, I have him ranked as my QB 85. Um, so that's kind of where I have him at. But I think that Terrell Vaughn is going to be a wide receiver like two for, for CFF purposes this wow, year. Wow, that's high, I think. I think that's high. I mean, we're talking to Jared too much. We have loved Blake Anderson wide receivers. Um, he had a lot of success at Arkansas State. Um, he's had He had success his first year at utah state with devin Tompkins, who came out of nowhere and was a top like three five wide receiver i don't see that in terrell vaughn's range of outcomes but terrell vaughn is really the only returning receiving option from last year they have kyle van lewin who was i was gonna say what about our guy van lewin yeah he was last year didn't you i I did uh he was pretty much injured all year and it does seem like vaughn is the guy who's getting that primary slot role because like i said they do run four wide receivers so they have kind of two slots but he's going to be the primary slot guy he's got the returning production he's getting the buzz in spring i like vaughn a lot it is worth noting that brian cobbs who was their leading receiver last year did put up 76 for 923 and five so i mean and that was on a on steps into year. that role then you know i i guess it's a little more reasonable i, I still think wide receiver two is probably a little rich for me, but they can't be any worse. When they had Lagat there, he was at least completing over 60% mm-hmm. of his passes. The other guys are talking about Logan Bonner, a very, very injured Logan Bonner by the end of the year. Uh, Bishop Davenport played a little bit, but then Levi Williams, who came over from Wyoming and is yeah. sub 30% passer last year, yeah. really, really rough. Um, so uh, not the best QB situation there last year. Uh, do you want to talk about Briggs a little bit? I, I Like I said, I'm not super intrigued by him at this particular point in time um Briggs is I'm not as high on Briggs as I am Vaughn and Lega because like I said I do think this offense is going to throw the ball more than they did last year but um Calvin Tyler Jr. was their primary running back last year he had 71 over 71 percent of their attempts uh and he ran over 200 routes out of the backfield Um, He had 253 carries for 1,100 yards and seven touchdowns, 15 catches, 129 yards, and another touchdown. Um, So he was, you know, he was pretty solid last year. I, like I said, I I think the team is going to throw a little bit more. So I think those numbers are going to come down for Briggs. I don't know that he gets that type of like a workhorse role that we saw out of Tyler because Tyler is a little bit bigger. Um, Briggs is only... Uh, 185 pounds. He's five six. He's listed as five six, 185. So he's tiny. Uh, but he played in 
uh, each of the first 10 games of the year last year. So he got time. Uh, he finished second on the team in rushing uh, last year. Uh, he was named the third team All-Mountain West preseason team. So there is some intrigue there for him. Um, I, Which is why I'm like kind of interested in him. He's like a 40th round guy in a startup for me. Um, I don't think I've taken him in any supplementals, but at least not any that are standard league. So interested in Briggs, but not as high as, as I am on at him as Vaughn and even Lega. Last team up here is Wyoming, 99th FBS power ranking and seventh in the Mountain West. Um, so I'll be honest, I, I wrote down two names here because you do hear them talked about a little bit in CFF circles, but they are not players that I have even added to a single queue this offseason. Colin, you probably have, as we know, I am a little stingier <laughs> with the queues than you are. Uh, Harrison Whaley at running back. Uh, you might recognize the name from his time over at NIU. Um, not the Salukis. Not the Salukis. Not the Salukis. And then uh, I believe Trayton Welch, the tight end, is actually a guy that some people find a little interesting, um, but I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not buying in right now. Yeah, I'm not really buying in on Welch right now either. He's not a guy that I've been adding to cues, despite my uh, notoriously deep cues. But it's the tight end position, so you know we'll. Uh, you're just throwing darts at the tight end position. If you want to take him fine. Uh, Harrison Whaley was interesting to me, but it came out last at the end of last month that he had some knee construction is what they called it. Knee reconstruction quotes. Oh, and good. he is expected like. to miss like the first couple games. Um, so I'm no longer really interested in Harrison Whaley, but I was before that. Yeah, fair enough. I, I hadn't seen that, but it's not. I I think this Wyoming team is just going to be bad, rough offensively. Yeah. Um. So, uh, tough to to really pick and choose a guy there that I think uh, I want to roster on, on my C two C teams. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight's show, guys. We made it through the Mountain West. We will be back again later this week with another one of our conference previews. As always, make sure you're checking out the other shows here on the Campus to Canton podcast feed, the YouTube channel, the website, and pretty much everything else uh, that we do. Uh, the season is coming up very shortly. We do just want to alert you to our Saturday shows that we do, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern every Saturday. We do the tailgate. Uh, 10 to 11.30, actually, and we do start sits, talk injury news as it comes in, prize picks, storylines, you name it, we cover it. And then later in the evening, it sounds like it's going to be a little earlier this year. We don't have an exact time. Um, still, after the majority of the games are over, probably you know 9 Eastern at the, at the earliest, uh, we do a, a wrap-up show called College Fantasy Tonight. So just mark those down. Subscribe over to the YouTube channel, set um, set your alerts on so that you know when we're going live uh, for those. We do put a lot of uh, time and effort into those shows, and I think they are really, really good, um, especially if you're, you're in multiple leagues and you kind of want to get a bunch of information right before kickoff happens. Um, also, final thing, home field. Go over to home field apparel, buy something for yourself as the season's getting closer. A nice, comfy shirt to wear 
uh, as you're sitting on the couch or going to the games or, you know, if you're in a little bit of a colder place or you want something for later in the season, they do have a ton of awesome sweatshirts as well. They are I, pretty much the comfiest sweatshirts that I own. Uh, promo code Campus to Canton gets you 15% off if you're a first time uh, buyer over there, which really just means it's the first time you've used an email address, uh, as we have found out. <laughs> yes. So, um, so, yeah, go go ahead and do that. Again, we will see you later this week with another episode of Campus Life Conference Previews. Until that next time, guys, I am Austin. And this is Colin. Have a good one.